So, all right, let's talk about continuing 2 Samuel. I, I get questions sometimes of how do we kind of come up with what we do in this class. Uh, and I, I was telling Randall, I stole this from Francis Chan, who I think stole it from N.T. Wright, who I'm sure told, would say he probably stole it from Chesterson, who stole it from, as you go back through history. Uh, and so when you read passages, the first thing I do is you read it as literature. Just read it. Do I understand the story? Uh, can, I, can I tell you what the story is? And then after I do that, then you have to put a cultural overlay on it. How do the original recipients, to the best of our knowledge, understand it? Well, I'll go th the very first passage we do today, we're going to go through it exactly like this. And then that's where the struggle is, is how do you culturally understand it? Uh, because there's a thing called critical theory, which is how you uh, interpret scripture, where you layer kind of today's values on older scripture, uh, which you can't do. You can only interpret the way they would have understand it, stood it at the time. And then after you try to do that, this is the most time consuming, then you read it canonically. Uh, that's my new favorite word, canonically. Uh, use that in a sentence today. Uh, so a, a piece of scripture cannot be opposite the great flow of the canon. So part of that you have to do have actually read part of the Bible or most of the Bible to kind of understand how the canon flows. Uh, a great example is last week. Uh, when Jonathan is writing the, the lament, sorry, when David is writing the lament for Jonathan, if you, in, if you read that in a modern, I think it's right, here, if you said this today, for your love for me is more wonderful, more wonderful than of women, that's got a totally different meaning than what occurred in 1000 BC because the culture is different and the way they use words are different and you have the meaning the literal meaning as well as the cultural overlay on that meaning Me sorry not meaning meaning and so you try to look and say how I have now interpreted this piece of scripture, is it similar to the way the rest of canon rolls? And so uh, is it consistent with the rest of canon? And so that's kind of how I go through this. Like I said, I've stole this from guys who are a lot smarter than me. Uh, Francis Chan, N.T. Wright, Chesterfield, uh, as you step back through history. Probably goes all the way back to Paul, maybe Jesus. <laughs> all right, let's talk about David's character. David is now the star of 2 Samuel. If you have read the book of 2 Samuel, David's got problems. He is not perfect. Uh, he is the greatest king. He's the king that every... If you know Jewish families, they all have a son named David. It's, he is far and away probably the most common Jewish son name. Everyone wants their son to be David. He had problems, though. Women. <laughs> He had a huge problem with women. 
He's already had a problem with women. He's about to have more problems with women. And the rest of the book is his problems with women. Uh, and it runs in the family. Because that's what destroys Solomon, is women. Uh, he, he cannot make up his mind. Family. We all have that. We all have the same problem. You can pick your friends, but you can't pick your family. David's got the same problem. But his problem is he can't do anything to his family, even when he should. And the rest of 2 Samuel is his family doing stuff and David not acting, which then has consequences down the road. Now, he's got significant strengths. He trusts God. Every time you see David do something major, he always says, let's ask God what he wants. And he waits to see. He is loyal to the nth degree. Uh, that's part of his problem with his family, is that he's loyal to the nth degree. Uh, and we'll see it today. Uh, and when, he is, when his problems are pointed out, he repents and changes his life. And so David's strengths, you'll see that the rest of this book. His weaknesses, we're going to see that today and the rest of this book. All right, so we're in the third chapter. Uh, let's read this like it's literature. This is the war uh, continued. David is growing stronger. Saul's house is growing weaker. And then you have a recitation of the first six sons of David. The way we would read that is, yeah, I mean, I want my, I want my children out there. I've got Amnon, I've got Caleb, I have Absalom, I've added Nijah, I have Seth uh, Tia, and then Ethram. You can tell we've, you've never heard these guys, so they didn't do much. And so this, in a literature, this is just a recitation of who the sons were, who the moms are. All right, let's put a cultural overlay on this. Cultural overlay is when you read these names, you read the wives. This is his, well, at this point in time, David had a wife, right? Saul's daughter, Michael. They may or may have been divorced. She may be a bigamist. We're not really sure. We're going to find out a little later in this chapter. But Michael doesn't go with him when he leaves to go to the Philistines. So his second wife, which is kind of his first wife, is this young lady who is from Judah. And you have Amnon. So Amnon becomes the crown prince, right? Oldest son of the king is the crown prince. He is going to be king next. Cultural overlay in the culture of 1000. Next son is Caleb who, if you read the book of Chronicles, is actually called Daniel. He's got two names. Uh, son of Abigail. Abigail the wise, the widow of Nabal, the fool, of Kate. His name actually means fool, of Carmel. So, also from Judah. So he marries two women from Judah. Uh, he is now, you know, he's in Hebron. He's the king of Judah, and Judah alone at this point. Third son, Absalom, son of Mecca, the daughter of Tamai, king of Geshur. We're going to come back to that in a second. Then Adonijah, son of Hengeth, 
Jewish name. Son, Jewish name. Son, Jewish name. So he's got six wives now. One of which, Yeshar, is not Jewish. Five of which are Jewish, one of which is not Jewish. That's not including Micah. Not including Micah. Micah, she's off to the side here for a minute. We're not sure if they're married or not married. We're going to talk about that in a minute. So these are so he's got six wives. He may have seven wives, depending on how you interpret this. All right, let's go back to Leviticus. What does God tell Moses to tell the people? When you get a king, he must not take many wives, or his heart will be led astray. The rest of this book is that. Uh, David has problems with women. And, they, and then when you look at Solomon, his son, who becomes king, he has lots of problems with women to the point that it destroys the kingdom and destroys Solomon. All right, let's talk about... So, cultural overlay. So if you're a cultural 1000 BC, this shows strength, right? He's such a powerful king... He's got six or seven wives. Six wives right now. He's about to get a seventh or get one back. But that's a, he's a powerful king. He's got six wives. And he's got sons, right? Because sons inherit. Sons become warriors. They lead your army. Powerful king. Now, let's switch to a Jewish cultural overlay. The Jews look at this. The key is, if you're Jewish, you've already read this book 12 times or so in your life, maybe longer. The Jews look at this, this is a warning. This is not a celebration. Because the firstborn is Amnon. We're going to find out about Amnon a little later. Amnon is the crown prince. He's a stellar individual. He rapes his half-sister because he says he can get away with it. And David does nothing. Absalom, who is the full sister, full brother of Tamar, kills Amnon. So the crown prince gets killed for raping his sister. Caleb, you know, does wisdom come from your mother? Caleb never gets in trouble anywhere that's registered either in Kings or Chronicles. Because he's the son of Abigail who had lots of wisdom. Third son, Absalom. Geshar is not a Jewish town. This is a political marriage. Geshar sits right here off the Sea of Galilee. So David has married this girl to make an alliance with her dad to put pressure on the rest of the people of Israel. So she's not Jewish. And it's a political marriage. This is going to come back and haunt him. So Absalom kills Amnon. I mean, that's in your own family, that's pretty bad. If one of your sons kills your other one, that's pretty bad. Later on in this book, Absalom rebels against David and tries to take the kingdom from him. So is that because he really does not see himself as Jewish? Could be. But from, a, like I said, from a Jewish standpoint, 
you look at these names, these are not proud names. You don't see kids name this in the Jewish community. Fourth son, Adonijah. Adonijah tries to usurp the kingdom from Solomon. And David has to have him killed. So out of his four oldest sons, three of them are dead before David dies. And dead violently. None of them die a natural death. So from a Jewish overlay, this is a warning about one, marrying outside of Judaism. Two, having too many wives. And not taking care of disciplining your children. So that's how a Jew would read this scripture. Is that this is a warning. Yes, David's powerful and everyone wants him to be that. But he's going against what God says in Leviticus. Don't have lots of wives. Even if you're the king, don't have lots of wives. And so that so when you read that, and that's also like I said consistent with the whole scope of canon of scripture is, you know, don't have lies. When when they ask Jesus about it, he gives that answer. It's your hardness of heart. I mean, you're supposed to be one man, one woman. You don't need six, maybe seven. So that that's an example of how you look at something from a literature standpoint. Our culture, we say, oh. Yeah, it's not good he's got lots of wives, but he's got good, strong sons. From a Jewish culture, this is a warning. That three out of the six of his children, including the crown prince, and then what becomes the crown prince, uh, rebel against him. Yes? Jeff, can I ask, you just mentioned there, one man, one wife, and talked about the problems here. The scripture you showed a moment ago don't take too many wives. Don't take too many. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, well, he, he's, he says in, in, when they're entering the kingdom, he says, it's best if you, you have a single wife. And he says, but if you take another wife, says in, the, uh, in Leviticus, says, you have to make sure it's your first wife has the same amount of attention, money, food, that you gave her before you took the second wife. And then, and then he says, you're very strongly, uh, he'll, he'll, Leviticus says it's not wise to marry women from the Canaanites because he knows that it's going to lead you astray. Absalom, <coughs> Solomon. Uh, and so I think that's one of the reasons this is so heavily repeated in the book of Kings is to remind the Jews that come after that, here, here's the greatest king you had. Look what happened when he went against Scripture. So there, I, there's other markers, I mean, like Abraham. A, Abraham. That was a disaster. Right? Yes. Every, every, yes. Uh, Jacob. We're talking about Jacob. I mean, Jacob. I mean, Jacob only Mary's meant to sisters. marry. He only meant to marry one woman. Yeah. <laughs> he got too drunk at the yeah. thing. Got you know. The, the da- his father-in-law snuck the older sister in and next thing you know he's married to her and he's married too. But what happens there? They get in a baby race, right? And the brothers hate each other. Right. And then, uh, yeah, because you Not get... Not only them, but they were concubines in their Right, yeah, because you get in a baby race. Because the more sons you have, the more powerful you are in the household. And so... Uh, the one you can't explain is, is Shlomo, who's the wise one, 
wisest men in the world had 300 wives and a bunch of concubines. Yes. Again, does do, do problems run in families? Yes. Uh, and like I said David struggled with women. Solomon struggled with women more, and it destroys the kingdom. It splits the kingdom. But so I think part there's a lot of wisdom, but God sometimes allows us to do what we want to do. Uh, and so was David a man after God's own heart? Yes. Was this wise? No. This son gets killed. This son tries to kill him. This son tries to kill him. Tries to kill Solomon. I mean, and David has to kill this son. What David does it. You're gonna find Joab does. Joab is David's hitman, by the way. He always does the thing David needs to do but doesn't do. And sometimes, as we'll find out today, does a little bit more. So yeah, this is a warning. This is a warning in the Jewish, with the Jewish cultural overlay. This is a warning. Don't. Even though David was wise and was a great king, he still had problems. I think yep. what this says to me, and you know, really loud, it, it's hard for conservative Protestant evangelicals to embrace this, but God, in amazing ways, takes very flawed people to do some really good things. Oh, absolutely. We're, Jane and I were talking about uh, Jacob and Rachel and, what's Rachel's sister's name? Leah. Leah. They, like I said, they get in a baby race. And so, you know, Leah's popping out babies. Rachel doesn't have any. And so Rachel goes, here, take my handmaiden. Make her as a concubine. And then Leah goes, well, if you're going to play that way, I'm going to play that way. Have my handmaiden. And next thing you know, there are 12, there are 12 sons and who knows how many daughters. Uh, and then there's this constant infighting that's going on, you know, to the part that Joseph, they try to kill him. And then they slam him off to Egypt. And, you know, God takes that mess that is Jacob's family and creates a nation that traced through history the Messiah comes through. So he takes stuff that we mess up and can make it better. So Jeff, we yes. have pretty clear laws today you can't have more than one wife. So Cur currently. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure where that comes from. I don't think it's in the Constitution. No. Uh, is, it, is it because we learned our lesson from uh, no. Where, where, where's the law of one life come from? It's got to be English common law somewhere. I, where's the lawyers in the room? It's got to go all the way back to English common law. Has, has that, in fact, what's our divorce rate in America? High. Really high. Yeah. Uh, so has that, what, what's the girlfriend rate in America? I see it all the time in labor and delivery. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, I mean, in Tennessee today, 65% of all babies do not have a, the parents are not wed. And then, uh, 65%, yes. Uh, and then I see all the time married guys come in with a girlfriend. In fact, I've had a married guy come in with his wife one week and his girlfriend the next week. So, I mean, yeah, so in America we have not learned this lesson. Uh, so, yeah, we still struggle with women too. And women still struggle with men. All right. Next, next story. The war continues. Uh, David's getting stronger. Saul's family's getting weaker. All right. Uh, as you remember, Ishbotheth is the son, the oldest living son of Saul. Maybe the only son of Saul. Son of Saul. That's hard to say. Son of Saul remaining. <coughs> Abner 
is Saul's cousin, who's the head of the army, which make him, would make him his uncle. Uh, and that con concubines and wives. Wives come with a dowry. Concubines are, we'll call them second level wives. They generally don't bring a dowry with them. And so they don't have the same rights as wives, uh, but they're still seen to be part of the household. So Saul had a concubine named Rizpah. Uh, and so Ishbotheth asked Abner, why did you sleep with my father's concubine? Now, reading that as literature, that, you know, that's, a, that's a tough question. That's usually followed by gunshots. Right, in America, you, have, you ask that question. A cultural overlay on this is <coughs> Abner is related to the ex-king Saul. Sleeping with his concubine would say, I'm taking over the kingdom. <coughs> because that's what you would do. You would take the wives of the previous king into your household to say, I am so powerful, I'm taking the previous king's wives. So if this occurred, that would be Abner saying, I want to be king. Or it was Ishbotheth being paranoid about Abner and heard a rumor. We all know how, you know, rumors, didn't, even before the internet, there were rumors that weren't true. <laughs> this is probably one of them. Uh, and so Abner's very angry. And he goes, Am I a dog's head? Dogs, by, we love dogs in America and modern culture. Dogs are unclean to the Jews. So he's basically asking, am I unclean? Am I a scavenger? Uh, am I on Judah's side? Remember, he's not on Judah's side. I am loyal to the house of your father. And so you accuse me of an offense with this woman. So this, this is a big deal. And so... He turns around and goes to the, to sends a note to David and sends a note to all the leaders of the tribe of Israel and says, I think it's time for you guys to join up with David. And so he goes to David and says, make an agreement with me and I will help bring all Israel over to you. So he says, it's time for the war to end. And David says, and here's where David's problem with women shows back up. I'll make an agreement with you. I demand one thing of you. Bring me Michael, the daughter of Saul. Remember, when you read the scriptures, Michael was in love with David. It never says David loves Michael. And she does not go with him when he runs away. Uh, he says, because I, I, I betrothed myself with the 100 <coughs> Philistine foreskins. And so, it's both escape orders and had her take away from her husband and so he weeps behind her all the way to Bethurim. Cultural overlay for first century BC, men don't act like this. Warriors don't act like this. That you're weeping behind the trailer that your wife is being taken away from you. And then Abner says to him, go back home, which is basically he's telling man up. This is 1000 BC man up. 
It's done. It's done. You're not getting her back. Probably with a big sword. In yes. Uh, yeah. Remember who Abner is. How do you become the head of the army? You're the best fighter in the army. Abner tells you, come on. Sword comes out. Go home. And so he went back. Uh, so, I mean, that's the unwritten kind of behind this. But uh, why does David want Michael? I mean, she's had, remember, this has been years. This is not like six months later. He was a year and a half or more in the Philistines. He was two to three years in the wilderness before that. He lives for seven and a half years, it already told us, in Hebron. So, I mean, they have been not been married for five years, seven years, eight years. Yeah, I yeah, I think I don't think it's first love. I think it's he wants the rest of Saul's followers. Yes, I think he's looking at it and saying, this is a again, a political move. So he destroys this marriage because he wants politics. He, think about her though. Saul took her away from David. Oh yeah, gave, gave, her, gave her away. And gave her away. She's had a tough life. <laughs> you know, she she marries the big the big stud David, who's the hero, right? You know, David's killed his ten thousands. Uh, everyone's writing songs about him, and then David has to escape out the window because her dad's trying to talk about family. Can't have problems with family. Your dad's trying to kill your husband <laughs> multiple times, not just once, and your husband has to crawl out the window to save himself, uh, and then. But from all, the reading of this is that they had a good they had a good marriage, and David, he wants her for pure political reasons. He wants her back because she is. So now it become, he becomes an inheritor of Saul, right? Because I'm married to his daughter. So that whole power structure, ignoring the fact that he already has all the power because Abner just came over and said, "Hey." I'll give, I'll give you Israel. Let's make an agreement. I'll give you Israel. All right. So Abner goes back and says, make David your king. And they go, hmm, okay, we're going to do that. They can read the handwriting on the wall. Uh, and so Abner, remember, uh, Benjamin and Hebron are only about 15 miles apart maybe. They're not very far. So uh, he goes down to Hebron to tell David, and David prepared for him a feast. What David did is he made a covenant with him. This is a covenantal feast. This is we're going to make a sacrifice to the Lord, then we're going to eat the food together. This is a big deal. A covenant is a, uh, it's like a treaty. So basically David is creating a treaty between Judah and all the other tribes of Israel to meld them back into one country. And then, uh, so they made a covenant. David goes around. And then, then family shows back up. Joab is David's head of the army, and he's his nephew. Uh, so Joab comes back. He finds out, oh, Abner's been here. They've had this big feast, this big covenant. We've got a, we've got a peace treaty now. Uh, and so Joab decides that he needs to, like, break the peace treaty. Uh, and that they, they had come, they talked to the king, and they'd gone in peace. 
So the king has said, go in peace. That is, uh, to go against that, says I'm in rebellion against the king. So Abner goes away. And uh, Joab comes to him and yells at him and says, what are you doing? What are you making this agreement? Uh, and so Joab sends messengers after Abner. The cistern at Sirah is about a mile from Hebron. So he's not, Joab did not get very far away. This is not like he went uh, two days and came back two days. Joab's about a mile away. Or Abner's about a mile away. And Joab says, hey, messenger, why don't you come back? We've got to settle some stuff, which is... You know the the head of the two armies. You could see that we need to have we need to have a meeting to see how we're going to do this covenant we have just created. And so Abner turns around and comes back. This is a uh, this is at uh, Tel Megiddo. Just to show you, this is what a city gate looks like. This is the road in. There are a lot of these little side rooms that are off the city gate. A lot of business of the city gets done there. So it's where people sit around. And so when Abner comes back uh, to Hebron, he takes him to the city gate, goes to an inner chamber. That's one of those side rooms. And says, let's, let's talk privately. Uh, and there to avenge the blood of his brother. Remember, Joab killed Ashiel in battle. It was Ashiel's fault. Because Joab tells him to turn aside. There's a reason Joab is the leader of the army. He's the best fighter. Ashiel is not the best fighter in David's army. He's the fastest, but he's not the best. But Joab kills him in battle. And so they avenge him. So Joab stabs him, and he dies. All right. You can't kill a very popular leader, a man like Abner, that the word doesn't get out really, really fast. Especially when you do it in the city gates. Murder. Murder. It's, this is not battle. This is, let me stick you. Oh, whoosh. And he's dead. And so David heard, hears about this, and he goes, oh, you're trying to, basically, you're torpedoing the peace treaty as well as murder. And so he curses Joab's family. Uh, May the family never be without someone who has a running sore or leprosy or falls by the sword or lacks for food, leans on a crutch, sounds like cripple. It's actually worse than that. Uh, the w other way to interpret this in Hebrew is leans on the loom. The loom is what women do. They weave things. So what he's saying, uh, we, we know there's from Hanarabi, who's about the same time, uh, and the Assyrians, there is a curse that's given if you don't respond to the call for soldiers, that you are to dress like a woman and act like a woman the rest of your life. And so what he's saying is that the men in John's family, that, it never, that somebody acts like a woman. And that, that in those days is a huge curse. And so that's what, he, that's what David is saying here. Plus they would be unclean. And they'd be completely unclean. Running sword. Oh yeah. So basically say you're, you're being cast out of the people of Israel. Uh, and then Joab and his brother 
So it tells you his brother's standing there. They murdered Abner because he killed the brother in the battle of Gideon. All right, what's the penalty for murder? Eye for an eye. So in the book of Leviticus, or the book of Deuteronomy, what's the penalty for murder? For cold-blooded murder? Death. There's not like a second death. What's David do? Nothing. He does nothing to Joab besides this curse. Now, this little part is David is a righteous man. He realized Abner was righteous and so he gives him a hero's funeral. He makes Joab along with him, tear your clothes, put on sackcloth, and walk in mourning in front of Abner. So there is some public humiliation. That's not in the book of Leviticus. That's not in Deuteronomy. Cold-blooded murder is cold-blooded murder. If you don't dis... You know, so how can you run the people of Israel if you won't discipline your own family? And this, of course, comes back to haunt David over and over and over in the rest of this book. And so he writes for him a lament... Uh, and then David says something that shows wisdom and do you not realize that a commander of great men has fallen in Israel even though I am appointed king I am weak and the sons of Zerunah are too strong for me the three brothers one of which is already dead uh, says may the Lord repay the evil doer according to his evil deeds he says this he doesn't do anything He's the king. He can do something. But like I said, it's going to come back and haunt him the rest of this book. Now, obviously, you're supposed to have heard that Abner died. He lost courage in all Israel. And so Saul's son had two men who were leaders of his army underneath them. And they decide, A, they didn't hear about all the other guys earlier who had killed Saul and gone to David uh, and so they decided how can I be how can I be high up in David's kingdom well I'll kill him so they do uh, and there's a little side note here about Mephibosheth who his name by the way means from the mouth of a shameful thing uh, he has another name in Chronicles which means hater of Baal. So I don't, it's possible his name changed during his life. Uh, and so this, they just throw this in. He's going to show back up here in a minute. Uh, and now these guys, uh, they get there, they go to the inner part of the house, they get some wheat, and they stab him in the stomach, and then they slip away. Well, sort of slip away. Uh, they actually cut off his head, too. So it wasn't just like, I'm going to stab and run. I'm going to stab him, he's going to die. I'm going to cut his head off because I'm taking his head to David. Uh, and so they come to David. Remember, Benjamin and Hebron are only about 15 to 20 miles apart. This is not like it takes me three days to do this. They can do it the same day. They show up. Hey, here's the head of your enemy. And then he looks at him and said, let me tell you a story. A guy came to me and said, Saul is dead. And 
I seized him and I put him to death. That is the reward I gave him for his news. Now, what do you think Saul died in battle? What do you think these wicked men who have killed an innocent man in his own house, what should I do with you? So he gave an order to his men and they killed him. They cut off their hands and their feet and hung them on the bodies by the pool of Hebron. And they took the head and buried it with Abner. So, contrast what he does with these guys to what he should have done to Joab. They did the same thing. This is both cold-blooded murder. So, Joab, he curses him, but he doesn't do anything. He still leaves Joab. In fact, when David gave an order to his men, who do you think he told to kill him? Joab. Joab is the head of his army. He's the head of his personal guard. Joab's standing there. So Joab did exactly the same thing. And he says, kill these guys. So this is what should have happened to Joab for killing Abner. So uh, it's very interesting you see this contrast of what David should have done sometimes with his family and doesn't, and what he does to the other guys who killed uh, Ishbothus. So I think that's a very interesting, and again, by not doing, not treating Joab correctly or punishing him correctly, it's going to come back and haunt him the rest of his life. All right, and now, so every peace treaty, all the people of Israel come to David, and they said, all right, we want you to be king. So they have a ceremony, they make him king. He's 30 years old when he becomes king. Also remember that when you interpret this. David is 30. He's now king of Israel. So a lot of the stuff he's done in these previous chapters, he's 18, 19, 20, 21, 25. Think how wise you were when you were that age. Uh, and so he reigns 40 years. So he was in Hebron for seven and a half years and then uh, Jerusalem 33 years. We're going to get to how he gets Jerusalem next week. So remember, so everything David has done to date, he's just turning 30. Okay, but I don't understand that. So right. in Hebron, he was not king. He was king over Judah. He was not king over all. Right, except he's... A, so he's 30 when he's king over Judah? No, for everything. Probably everything. He'd have to be two when he killed Goliath. Well, he would have been... Uh, because he was there seven years, he'd been 23. Yeah, it, it's not 100% clear where, when the, when the, the clock right. starts. How old, is he when, uh, how old is he when Samuel anoints him? He's probably a teenager, right? Because he's maybe young. He's out in the field. His, you know, his seven brothers are at home. They're fighting in the army. He's out guarding the sheep. So when he gets anointed... Let's call him mid-teens, maybe, 15-ish, 16-ish, uh, 14-ish, somewhere in there. Uh, so it's now been well, at least 15 years from the time he's anointed to when he's 30. Now, understand time-wise for when they write, they round a lot. They, you know, they don't have the eye watch, right? Going like, hey, today it's, it's exactly. So they round up a lot. They smooth things out. Because Saul ruled 40 years. 
David rules 40 years. Solomon rules 40 years. Did they really do exactly 40 the way we count it? No. But in the Eastern mindset, they did 40 years because they, they, they smooth stuff out. There's a uh, Hanarabi, uh, who's one of the rulers of Babylon early on. Uh, there's a Stella to him that says he had a million men in his army. Did he have a million men? No, he did not. The entire, the people he ruled did, didn't number a million men. But what they're saying is he had a lot. And so typically you'll, you'll see this lot when they start doing times and dates. You'll see, they'll smooth a little bit and say, hey, he ruled 40 years. And we do the same thing. How long did, uh, you know, how long did uh, Tom Brady play football? Mm. 40 years. 40 years, yes. <laughs> 40 years. He's still gonna, he's gonna come back next year. But you know, yeah, we do the same thing. Say, yeah, 20 years, 22 years, something like that. Yeah, it's the same thing. That's what he's doing here. So he would have played more had not been for a woman. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. So, so Tom Brady is a descendant of David. Yeah, put that on your Instagram today. Tom Brady is related to David the King. Uh, yeah, so you know we did multiple women. Yes, yes, he did. He also had the same problem. He has lots of problems. See, see, like I said, it comes back around, still back around. The king of football gets brought down because of women. David comes brought down because of women. Solomon gets brought down because of women. So, all right. Did you hit the record button today? I did. We are recording. Yes. All right. Uh, so, so now where we're at in the story is David is the undisputed king of Israel. Uh, he has now seven wives because he's now stolen Michael back from her second husband. Uh, now, I'm mean, interesting that, that actually. Again, Code of Hammurabi, Code of the Syrians, they actually wrote that into the code that if you are married to someone and he goes off to battle, how long do you have to wait before you remarry? Because it's not like they, have, they could write letters back and forth. And, and the answer was five years. So in this culture, five years seemed to be about a right balance of, I haven't heard, of, I haven't heard from him for five years, so therefore we're going to consider him dead, and I'm divorced, I can remarry. It's also not like they had a city hall where you went down to and said, let me look up those marriage certificates, right? Uh, and so the fact that, A, my, Saul knew David was still alive. We knew where he was at because Saul spent how many years chasing David? And then David goes to Ziklag. Uh, Saul should not have given Michael away. She doesn't have any choice in the matter. Uh, so David is within his rights to ask for Michael back. They're still technically married. But mostly he did it because it's politics. He wants the power, I want to be the inheritor of Saul. Even though God has told him through Samuel, I'm taking Saul's house away, the kingdom away from Saul's house, and it's now in your house. He's still politics and wants Michael back. So the next story starting in chapter 5 next week, David's 30 plus minus a year or two. He's got seven wives. He needs a capital. And we're going to move on to the story of how Jerusalem becomes the capital of the nation of Israel. Uh, and then 
more stories of how women destroy David's life, or David destroys his wife with women. All right, we'll see you next week. <laughs>